Today is Pentecost Sunday, a day when Christians all over the world preach messages about the moment when the Holy Spirit suddenly came upon the believers who were all gathered in one place and all on one accord, as recorded in the second chapter in the book of Acts. While I think that that is appropriate and necessary and that churches ought to talk about that event and that moment, I would be remiss if I did not highlight the importance of that event in the context of what we're seeing play out in cities today all across the United States of America. I'm talking about the protests, some violent, that are taking place in cities like Minneapolis, New York, Atlanta, and even Austin, Texas, and others all around this nation, all in response to the senseless killing of Mr. George Floyd at the hands of a system that many African Americans have become too familiar with. It is appropriate that many people are outraged and angry. And while I can relate to the frustration of all of our people and how all of our communities feel, I'm even more outraged at the fact that there was a much larger outcry for a football player kneeling in protest over police brutality than for a police officer brutally kneeling in contempt, which ultimately led to murder. To be clear, something is dreadfully wrong with these United States of America. And while some love to say we are a Christian nation, to be perfectly clear, we are not on one accord and never will be on one accord until white America repents for its many atrocities one day. One day. And so today, with the killing of Mr. George Floyd as a backdrop, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday. And I invite you to turn with me to two passages of Scripture. The first one comes from Genesis, the first chapter, and the first through the fifth verses, which I had previously read. But let me read again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving among and over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. The second scripture comes from Luke, the fourth chapter, the 14th through to the 21st verses, which reads as follows. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. 
And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Besides the obvious work of the Holy Spirit in both of these passages of Scripture, I want to draw your attention to where it says in the Genesis text that there was evening and morning one day. And in the Luke text where it says, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And with both Scriptures in mind, I will thus be speaking a message titled, One Day. One Day. Let us pray. Father, we have now come to the preaching hour. Lord, you know what I have poured out. Now, Lord, I need you to pour in so I can even pour out more of what you want your people to know. During these turbulent times, Lord, no one wants to hear me. They need to hear you. So invite your spirit now, Lord, to descend upon now this pulpit, Lord. Hide me behind your sacred cross. And Lord, let it be, Father, that it's no more me but thee. For your children are listening. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I was not consulted when God made the heavens and the earth in all its form and beauty. I was not consulted when God made the trees and the birds, the great fish of the sea, and the great beasts of the field. God did not ask my opinion when he created mankind and decided to make us in his very image. God did not ask me to weigh in on how tall or short I should be, the texture of my hair, nor the size of my feet. He did not ask me the shape of my eyes, what they should be, the size of my nose, or even my lips. And he most definitely did not ask me what color my skin should be. So, church, if you say you believe in God, and if you say, as a matter of fact, let me not even say church. Let me make this real. So America, if you say you believe in God, and if you say God is all sovereign and all powerful, if you say that God is perfect in all his ways and that he is not a man, that he should lie. If you say that God, he is good all the time and all the time God is good. If you say that God makes no mistakes and since God did not consult me on any of the things that he made, especially, especially man who was created in his very image. However you choose to interpret that phrase, then why do you hate me? 
Why do you hate me? If, if God did not seek my advice on anything that he chose to do as it relates to how he created, formed, made, fashioned me from the dust of the earth, why, America, do you hate me? I'm talking to everyone that has a racial prejudice against people of African descent. But I'm especially talking to those in places of power and authority. For the prejudice that we as black people face does not only come from white people. We experience it from Koreans, Chinese, Brazilians, Indians, Jews, Muslims, and many others as well. Too often, we tend to talk about racism as if it's a binary phenomenon between blacks and whites. But the truth is, it's a social system that has allowed many, many other ethnic groups to capitalize when it serves their best interest. In light of the killing of Mr. George Floyd and all the protests that we are witnessing all over this nation, I am especially sick of all these sympathetic white folks talking on television and in the media about this is the time to come together or we must muster our collective character or appeal to our better angels for the sake of peace. Listen and let me be very clear. I don't want to hear any more about better angels. You have none. I don't want to hear any more about mustering our collective character for you have none. And I don't want to hear any more about your loss for words with all this violence against blacks because you really don't care. And I'm exhausted by your callous apathy and disgusted by your sympathy. This is where we are. And whether it's a racist cop exercising his white privilege or it's a racist white woman exploiting her white fragility, another black man is dead and soon another one will be. And so your thoughts and your prayers going out to the families are empty and they are meaningless. In other words, white America, the earth is formless and void and darkness is over the surface of the deep. But our one day is coming. In Genesis 1, God creates an order out of chaos. The text says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light, it was good. He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. The movement in this creation story proceeds from chaos to order, from darkness to light. This biblical metaphor of light is used all over the Bible, in, even in the New Testament through the Apostle John, and we know this. But, but light versus darkness makes the implication that light is good and darkness is bad. We are clear on that. But, but the light, it overcomes the darkness and followers of the light. All of us who call ourselves Christian, we are 
actively called to participate in dispelling that darkness. Whenever we talk about God's kingdom coming on earth and moving forcefully, we're talking about the goodness of God expelling the darkness that has overcome the surface of the deep. Let me be very clear. America is dark. And there is a light that needs to penetrate to dispel the darkness that we see. In the United States and elsewhere where race relations are constructed primarily within a, a black-white binary context, this theme is used to support the privilege of, of white over black, or as many people see it, the light over the darkness. This is the fundamental basis behind racism and what races are not willing to say overtly, but they certainly say covertly, I'm going to say for you today. Oh, yes, I am. White or whiteness is seen as good light. And black or blackness is seen and believed to be darkness and bad. That's what you believe. Many white people will not admit this openly, but they know it. They live it, they believe it, and they perpetuate it. Now, now, if hearing this offends you, good. Then it means that there is some hope for the light to penetrate into your darkness, the darkness of your hearts that the Bible tells us is desperately wicked. By definition, racism occurs whenever a particular group exerts its sense of superiority over others on account of a racial difference. Therefore, racism is defined not merely as prejudice, meaning when one person or one race is intolerant of another, but it's also related intrinsically to power. That is, the ability of a group to exercise a sense of racial dominance over others. Racism equals racial prejudice plus power. So when we talk about racial prejudice, it means, yes, I don't like you because you're white. I don't like you because you're black. You don't like me because I'm black. You don't like me because I'm Jamaican. That's racial prejudice. And everyone harbors some prejudice for one reason or another. It's rooted in stereotypes. And many people, all people, have it. We are born in sin. We are shaped in iniquity. All of us carry some har or harbor some stereotype or some racial prejudice. But it takes on the form of racism. Racism when it's coupled with the power to do something and to impact somebody else's life. So, so let me bring it down to your street, just to make it clear. Racism equals I hate you plus I can impact you. Let's be clear. Racism is I hate you plus I can do something to you. You see this play out. For example, when, when white people calling the police intentionally when they are seeking to put a black man in their place. They are weaponizing their racist entitlement, which is a default reaction to the intrinsic bias that is rooted deeply in their heart. Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm not mincing my words. It is racism that would cause Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to say things like former President Obama should shut his mouth. Who the hell do you think you are? Now, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't protect the government 
because it's all unjust as far as I'm concerned, but I know it when I see it because I've heard it and I've experienced it. In America, studies show that racism persists because we see that people with black-sounding names had to send out 50% more job applications than people with white-sounding names just to get a callback. A black man is three times more likely to be searched at a traffic stop and six times more likely to go to jail than a white person. If a black person kills a white person, he or she is twice as likely to receive the death sentence as a white person who kills a black person. Blacks serve up to 20% more time in prison than white people for the same crimes, and blacks are 38% more likely to be sentenced to death than white people for the same crimes. Now, all of these stats, I'm telling you, are not new. We go through these Sunday after Sunday every time a tragedy happens. You get the statistics. We tell you, we know, but nothing changes and nothing happens. And listen, let me not just make this about the government. Let's look at even the church. Only 56% of evangelicals, white evangelicals, believe that people of color are often put at a social disadvantage because of their race. 56% believe that. Can you believe that? Only 56%, while 84% of blacks know that to be true. Are we looking at the same data? Now, I can take up all this time in this message analyzing the psychology behind racism, but I want to state emphatically that racism is of the devil. And it is an evil that whether or not you believe you harbor it in your spirit does not change the fact that one day, you are going to be held to account for it, and especially those who claim to be of the household of faith. And I'm talking now to the church as you celebrate Pentecost. The Pentecost word says, the Spirit descended suddenly when they were all on one accord. And I'm telling you right now, to my white evangelical brothers and sisters, you are not on one accord with us. If you see these atrocities over and over and over again and say nothing about it in the face of injustice, you can see it. And listen, just like the good Samaritan, they walked over him, the priest, the Levite, and all of those who are the ones who are the moral leaders in this country do not walk over this one. Black America is lying on the side of the road and we are bleeding. We are bleeding. So I went through all of that. Yeah, I'm angry. But I went through all of that. But I want us to go back to Genesis. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. That last piece is what I want us to latch on to. And God separated the light from the darkness. Let me say that one more time. And God separated the light from the darkness. As I stated before, Racism is an evil that is spawned from the devil, Satan himself. It is a scourge on God's good creation. And its only purpose is to steal, 
to kill, and to destroy. It is rooted in pride and grows in the cesspool of self-righteousness. It feeds and it preys on the self-loathing individual whose value only comes from their need to exploit others based on entitlement, privilege, or fragility. It's a lot of words. It operates exactly like COVID-19 in that those of us who are foolish enough to not wear the mask, then you are destined to be infected by it and also perpetuate it. Racism, in no uncertain terms, is darkness. But the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord was moving over this darkness. Come, Holy Spirit. And when God said, let there be light, he brought something good into the chaos. That when he did it, something cosmically supernatural came and turned the chaos into order. He separated the light from the darkness. You see, God did it. God did it. He separated the light of George Floyd from the darkness of Derek Chauvin. He, he separated the light of Christian Cooper from the darkness of Amy Cooper. He separated the light of Ahmaud Arbery from the darkness of the McMichaels. He separated the light of Breonna Taylor from the darkness of the Louisville Metro Police. He separated the light of Trayvon Martin from the darkness of George Zimmerman. Yes, I'm saying it. He separated the light of the Emmanuel Nine from the darkness of Dylan Roof. He separated the light of Sandra Bland from the darkness of the county sheriff. He separated the light of Dr. King from the darkness of James Earl Ray. He separated the light of Emmett Till from the darkness of the justice system. And he separated the light of the slaves from the darkness of America. And you know what, brothers and sisters? He did it one day. One day. You see, one day the Holy Spirit will move upon the racism of this and other nations. And what happens? The power of the Holy Spirit will bring all who perpetuated this evil upon God's people and hold them to account. These ain't my words. The light came and it separated the light from the darkness. And how do I know this to be true? Pastor, how can you make such a statement? Pastor, under what authority can you be so emphatic? Well, look with me at Luke, the fourth chapter and the 14th through the 21st verse where Jesus, after opening up the book of Isaiah in the synagogue, it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And after he closed the book, he gave it to the attendant, sat down, and while all eyes were fixed on him, Jesus declared, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. That's what Jesus said. Here we see that the Holy Spirit was moving again. In other, words, the, in other words, the Holy Spirit moved again. And when the Holy Spirit moved again, just as it did in Genesis, it caused the light to come into the darkness. And that light separated the light from the darkness, from the darkness of chaos. So in the very same way, the Holy Spirit moved, and Jesus, the light of the world, brought order to the chaos 
and he separated the light from the darkness. Jesus was anointed to bring light to the poor through his preaching. Jesus was anointed to bring light to the captives by proclaiming their release. Jesus was anointed to bring light to the blind through the recovery of their sight. Jesus was anointed to bring light to the oppressed by setting them free. And Jesus was anointed to bring light to the world by proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. And he did this one day. He did this one day for, for one day. He too, he too was betrayed by the ones he trusted. One day, he too was oppressed by the ones he came to serve. One day, he was beaten by the ones who he came to save. One day, he was crucified by the ones who swore an oath to protect. And when he bled and died, one day, the darkness thought that it had won. But one day, that great resurrection day, he marched out of that borrowed tomb with all power in his hands. And the light of his goodness separated the light from the darkness, the good from the evil. And then one day, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. From there, he will judge not only the quick and the dead, but from there, he's going to judge America. So one day, America, justice will be experienced by every African American and every person that you have oppressed and exploited. Nothing, nothing, hear me, lasts forever. And as I've stated many times before, and which I personally believe in my heart of hearts, God has not yet brought judgment upon this nation for all of its atrocities simply because of the spirit of the African-American that still believes in the promise of this nation and our hearts still hold out hope for you to change. But our patience is growing thin and the time will come when I'm telling you as a pastor that I will not pray for you anymore. The time is coming. Do not let us get to that one day before you do what is required of you. America has been blessed because of the spirit of the African American who gave you our labor through slavery. We gave you our culture. We gave you our music. We gave you our athleticism. We gave you our intellect. We gave you our ingenuity. But most of all, America, African Americans gave you our love. We gave you our love. We fought, bled, and died for this nation just like you, even more so. This is not your nation. This is our nation. All of us. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. So America, our love cost us dearly from slavery to Jim Crow to George Floyd. But no sacrifice goes without a cost. No sacrifice goes without a cost. So America, three things I tell you before I go. Seize the moment. But number one, repent. Repent for your racist behaviors. Repent for God is seated on a throne and he is the righteous judge. So number one, repent. Number two, Take the initiative 
People learn to be whatever their society and culture teaches them to be. You have to speak out when you see what has become acceptable in society. If you are okay with it, if you say nothing about it, you are a part of it. So repent and take the initiative in culture. And finally, church, be the church. From the beginning, America has been home to Protestants, Christians, Catholics, Jews, immigrants, people from across Europe, Asia, South America, the Caribbean, all around the world. We need to recognize that we are brothers and we are sisters and we share a brief moment in time on this earth. What will you have to show for the many blessings that God has given to you? And the church, we need to be the moral leaders in this nation again and to say when something is wrong, it is wrong and to call out evil when we see it. Jesus said to the man who was possessed, what is your name? He says, legion, for I am many. We need to call it by its name. And it's evil. And if the church does not do it, if the church does not do it, then who will? Who will? So I am calling all church leaders today that you are held to account. You know why? You are held to account. Why? Because this one day is today. There's no more days. This one day is today. So let today be the one day that you make up in your mind to change. For if you lose this moment, you may never have another chance. And I say this with fear and trembling. For I believe, hear me clearly, that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me in this moment. And you are accountable for this hearing. May the Lord, may the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.